Dennis Kinlaw was the president of Asbury College for 18 years, leading the school through the 1970 revival. In 1983, he founded the Francis Asbury Society to promote the message of scriptural holiness. We hope you enjoy this message from Dr. Kinlaw. I want to read for you a passage that you may be familiar with. You have heard me, perhaps some of you, address this passage before, but it's one that keeps coming back in my own heart and mind, and so I share with you some further thoughts on a passage in the book of Galatians, chapter 4, beginning with verse 19. My little children, of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. I desire to be present with you now and to change my voice, for I stand in doubt of you. Tell me, you that desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondmaid, the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh, but he of the free woman was by promise. Which things are an allegory? For these are the two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai, which gendereth the bondage, which is Agar. For this Agar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and answered to Jerusalem, which now is, and is in bondage with her children. But Jerusalem, which is above, is free, which is the mother of us all. For it is written, Rejoice, thou barren that bearest not. Break forth and cry, thou that travelest not, for the desolate hath many more children than she which hath an husband. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. But as then he that was born after the flesh persecuted him that was born after the spirit, even so it is now. Nevertheless, what saith the scripture? Cast out the bondwoman and her son. For the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. The verse that through the years has caught my attention is the opening verse that is read, verse 19. Paul speaking, saying, My little children, of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. To me, it's one of the most poignant verses in all of the scripture, where a spiritual father opens up his own soul and explains the yearning of his heart for those for whom he feels a responsibility. You will remember that the Galatians were, in a special way, his responsibility. Because they were his spiritual children. They had come into the kingdom as the result of his own missionary activity. You want to read the account? Read it in Acts 13, 14, and 15. There he suffered a great deal for them, but many of them came to personal faith in Christ. Now he separated from them a substantial distance. And what he hears from them does not cheer his heart, but rather breaks his heart. Because he says, 
He hears that they have turned away from the gospel which he preached. They have turned to another gospel, which is not really a gospel, because there is only one gospel, and when they turned from that one gospel, it was not another gospel, though others may have called it that. So he says, I fear that what I labored for in you has now been frustrated, hindered, destroyed. And he said, I would be willing to travail in birth again for you if Christ could be formed in you. Now in that text, there are two words very significant. One of them is travail. You understand that word, at least theoretically, because it is a word which speaks of the labor that a mother goes through in giving birth to a child. Perhaps there is no pain quite like that, and no experience quite like that that a human being ever goes through, where trauma is the medium through which new life is produced. Now he says, I'm ready to do that all over again for you. Now, if you will remember, I think it will be significant to recall that Paul did suffer a great deal for them, for them to be born. If you remember that first missionary journey, the church said that the Holy Spirit said to them, Separate unto us Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And so they laid hands on them, prayed for them, and sent them out. They went first from Jerusalem to Cyprus, and then from Cyprus to Turkey, to the underbelly of Asia Minor, to Perga in Pamphylia. The going was not easy. It was discouraging. And so the third member of their party, who was John Mark, turned and decided he'd go home. It was too rough for him. And so it was left for Paul and for Barnabas to go on alone. But they went on alone, and they came to Antioch in Pisidia, where they preached in the synagogue. The Jews who heard Paul preach were filled with jealousy and with anger, and they began to abuse Paul and Silas. And they found the devout women and the leading men in the community, and they stirred up both, and the devout women and the leading men expelled Paul and Barnabas from the city of Antioch. Rather undignified way for a missionary or for a preacher to make his exit from a, from a preaching appointment. But that's the way they did in Antioch in Antioch in Pisidia. They proceeded then to Iconium. There, people came from Antioch and stirred up the Jews, and so the Jewish leadership in the synagogue decided to stone Paul. And so Paul fled along with Barnabas for their lives. And they went on to Lystra. And when they came to Lystra, they had that strange experience of seeing a man marvelously healed, the people said these are gods that have come to us and in one moment they want to worship them because of the power of God that has been manifested through them. And in the next moment the Jews are leading them to take Paul and to stone him until they think he is dead and they drag Paul out of the city and leave him for dead. Paul finally is revived 
And he and Barnabas go on to the next city to continue their preaching. If ever there was a pattern for you and me of persistence in obedience to God and in the proclamation of the gospel, no matter what the cost, it's here. And the pattern which Chester Bitterman has been following in Columbia and Wycliffe Bible translators there in the circumstances that I am sure you know about. You will remember that after they administered in Derby, that they did what nobody else would have expected them to do. They went home, but when they went home, they retraced their steps in every city where they had been expelled, knowing that when they went, they went at great personal danger, but they had a purpose. They wanted to go to the converts that they had left behind and encourage them to be faithful and tell them what a marvelous thing it was to be a follower of Jesus. It's interesting that a man who has been abused, expelled, stoned, and left for dead turns to the people who watched and says, I want to bear witness to what a wonderful thing it is to be a follower of Christ. Now, it's to those people who watched him make those sacrifices for them and suffer in that way for Christ to whom he is writing. I would be willing to go through all of that all over again. Now, I love the verse not only because of what it says about the heart of Paul, but I love it also because of the vision that he had as to what Christ was supposed to do in his life and in these Galatians and in yours and mine. It's an interesting definition of being a Christian, isn't it? There are many of us who define being a Christian. We hear a fellow make a profession of faith and claim Jesus Christ as his Savior, make a decision, and we say he's become a Christian. You notice Paul is not concerned about a decision here. There are many people that after that kind of decision, they experience baptism and they say he's now a Christian. But he's not talking about a religious rite or ceremony. He's not even talking about a certain morality in a person's life. But what is he talking about? A kind of character, isn't it? He said, I didn't go through all this for ordinary stuff. You know why I went through all this? I went through all this so that Christ could be formed in you. My little children, for whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. Now, this is not the only place where Paul thinks in terms of this kind of radical change in a person's life and magnificent development being what it really means to be a Christian. You will remember that he wrote to those people in Philippi, and when he did, he was in jail writing to them. And he said, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. You are to have the very mind of Christ where your mind does not control your life, but Christ's mind controls you. And you notice that it's your mind that determines what you do and what you are. So he said the control in your life is supposed to change. The mind of Christ is supposed to be. The kind that thought it not robbery to be equal with God, 
but was willing to forfeit all of that, emptied himself, suffered the approach of the cross so that we could be redeemed and so that our mind could be filled with his mind. You remember that astounding verse at the end of, what is it, the third chapter of 1 Corinthians, where Paul speaks and says, we, we're not like the rest of the world. We have the mind of Christ. You will remember that in the 12th chapter of the book of Romans, he tells us that we're supposed to be renewed in our mind. And in Titus, he tells us we're supposed to be renewed in the image of the one that made us. So I think there you get a glimpse of what Paul understood Christ wanted to do in Dennis Kimmel's life. And what Christ wanted wanted to to do in your life. And what he wanted to do in these Galatians. My little children, for whom I travail in birth again. Now, I'm not suffering physically the way I did it listed in this sermon. I'm not suffering in my pride the way I did when they ignominiously expelled me from the city and chased me out. A group of prayer meeting women doing. I had to flee. That's the group I wouldn't want to have to run from. He said, I'm not suffering in my spirit, my pride, the way I did there. But I'm suffering in my soul for you. That Christ may be formed in you again. Now, the word again is significant here because obviously that formation had begun and something That formation had begun enough that Paul could say that they were the delight of his life and the joy of his heart. And now it has been frustrated and stopped to the extent that he says, uh, I'm in birth pangs over you. I'm in great trauma over you. He says, uh, something has happened and it is not good. You turn to another gospel and it will not be good news. He says in chapter 5, he says, you have actually fallen from grace so that now you're no longer living in grace. And he says the end result is that Christ has become of no value to you. And you who began with Christ, now he is nothing in your life because you shifted the basis to your personal existence. Now it's obvious that they didn't share his concern. They felt that they were perfectly all right. And they felt that the people who were teaching them and telling them that the way that they were going was right, that they were preferable to Paul. And so they were feeling somewhat superior. They were not sharing in the concern of Paul. But Paul was profoundly concerned. Now, uh, Is it possible for a person to begin well and not finish well? Is it possible for a person to do what Paul says in chapter 3 of Galatians they did? They began in the spirit, but they ended up in themselves. Now, if that's true, that's something I ought to be concerned about. Because if it happened to the Galatians, why can't it happen to Dennis Kenlock? 
And if that transition took place in their lives without their being greatly disturbed, perhaps it can take place in my life without my being greatly disturbed by it. And I can shift from his mind to my mind, and from his spirit to my spirit, and from his way to my way. And what tragic consequences inevitably come from that. Now, if that's true, I need to understand the difference between these two things. So that what happened, the fate of the Galatians, will not be mine. And you need to understand so that you who began well may not find someone who started you in the way in trauma over you because the work of Christ has been frustrated and destroyed. Now, how do you know? Here is where this tantalizing story is given of Abraham with his two sons. It's a passage that I have wished I could come well enough to preach as dramatically as it ought to be preached. But you think for a minute. Everybody knows that salvation is of the Jews. Jesus said that very clearly. And who are the Jews? They are the children of Abraham. It is the children of Abraham that are the children of promise. It was to Abraham that God said, in your seed will be the salvation of the world. But you know, Paul says, the significant thing is, and the thing that you have forgotten is, that Abraham had two seeds. He had not just one son, he had two sons. And in those two sons is a parable for you. And you once were children of Abraham like Isaac, but now you have become children of Abraham. You're children of Abraham, all right, you name his name. But you're children now like Ishmael. And what a contrast between these two. Now, I'm convinced that that's the basic problem in every generation. And that's the basic problem in every Christian culture. And that's the basic problem in every Christian group. The deep problem is never on the outside. The deep problem is within us. Where we're all children of Abraham and named the same name. But some are children of promise. And some are children of the flesh. Now, you will notice that there was no redemption for the world in Ishmael and his descendants. The redemption of the world came out of Isaac. And if I shift in my life from the one stream to the other, you can count on it, there will be no fruitfulness in me. You will notice that he speaks about barrenness and sterility. You will notice he says, Rejoice, thou barren that bearest not. Break forth and cry, thou that travailest not. For the desolate hath many more children than she which hath an husband. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. What difference does it make? One is the matter of fruitfulness, and the other is the matter of sterility. But that's deceptive too, isn't it? Because if you read the story, you will find that Ishmael had no problem having children. In the same way that Abraham and Hagar had no problem producing him. 
You read the story and you will find that Ishmael had twelve sons and every son was a prince. And each son became a nation. And Ishmael peopled much of the Middle East. Abraham had a son by the name of Isaac. And he had him only by divine activity. You will remember that he was a hundred years of age, Abraham, when that child was born. Not the result of Sarah and Abraham's activity. The result of God. And when Isaac was married, you will remember the wife that was given him, Rebecca. They lived together 20 years before they had a child. So that after all of the life of Abraham and most of the life of Isaac, there have been three sons, two births, in the people who are the descendants of Abraham in truth. And there is a multiplying multiplicity of people out here who are descendants of Ishmael. Ishmael looked down at Isaac and said, poor God. And Isaac looked up and said, yes, but there's something at work in my life that is not present there. And no credit to me, the hope of the world lies here. Now what's the difference? One is what you and I do. And one is what he does. You see, I can only form my character in my life. And only Christ can form his character in my life. Now the supreme question is, have we slipped and shifted from where we are letting him form his character in us to where we are forming our character in us. You see, one is what I do and the other is what he does. You notice the difference in focus. If it's what he does, my focus has to be upon him. My openness has to be to him. My attention has to be to him. If it's what we can do, our focus is upon us. Our attention is to us. And our center is in ourselves. Where's yours today? Is your life an occasion for you? Or is your life an occasion for him? There's a radical difference between those two things. There's a difference between light and darkness, life and death. There's a difference between God and us. Will you let your life today be an occasion for him? And will you look for his working? And will you provide a context where he can? If you do, he will form himself in you.